On this podcast, we discuss medical diagnoses and procedures. All of the guests express their own opinions. You should always seek medical advice from a trained and credentialed professional when making decisions about your own health. Welcome to the Sleep Apnea Stories podcast. I'm Emma Cooksey, and I've been coping with sleep apnea since childhood. I didn't know anyone in my life with a sleep disorder, so I decided to start this podcast. I'm here to build community and provide a platform for people with sleep apnea to tell their stories. Together, we can shatter stereotypes and raise awareness. We'll be exploring all sorts of treatment options and lifestyle choices to help you live your best life with sleep apnea. This is Sleep Apnea Stories, and I'm so glad you're here. Hi there, it's Emma Cooksey here, and I'm your host. So a couple of messages before we get started with our interview. This week, there's a couple of things happening. There's Sleep Apnea Awareness Day, which is on March 20th. So if you haven't yet talked to your friends and family and people in your life about the fact that you have sleep apnea, I think now's a really good time to do that. You just never know when conversations with people might lead to them recognizing some of the symptoms in themselves and going to have a sleep study. You really could have a big impact on someone's life. So I just really encourage everybody this week to have those conversations. So since I've been doing the podcast, I get lots of questions from people about sleep apnea, but specifically about CPAP and specific problems with using um, CPAP. So I want to put together a resource for you guys just to answer a lot of the really common questions that I get. So I put together a two-page printable PDF, and it's called... CPAP lessons I learned the hard way. In the 13 years since I was diagnosed with sleep apnea, I've gone through every different CPAP issue you can ever imagine, and I've come up with solutions to all of those. So I thought I would try and save you guys some time and some struggle. So if you want to download that printable PDF, just go to sleepapneastories.com. And then click where it says email sign up. So on to today's interview with Craig Baker. So Craig is a personal trainer. He lives in Sydney in Australia. And he was only recently diagnosed with sleep apnea last year. So Craig's kind of a humble guy who downplays the challenges he's had. But I think his story really has the power to change perceptions about what sleep apnea looks like. So particularly with doctors, there's many doctors who are reluctant to test people who look like Craig for sleep disorders because they think of it as something that affects older, overweight men with thick necks. I think that that's partly why people who are in great shape like Craig tend to have a very long journey to diagnosis. So this one is quite a visual story, <laughs> so which is tricky for a podcast. But if you want to go and look at Craig's Instagram page, it's at Craig Baker PT. 
and I'll link to it in the show notes as well. Um, he does all sorts of personal training like we talked about, but he's also a fitness model. So they seem to like to shoot these videos and photos in like derelict warehouses with him with like no shirt on and stuff. But I think some of those images are striking because it just makes you think if this guy can have sleep apnea, like anyone can. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Craig Baker. Well, <laughs> welcome to the podcast um, and thanks very much for agreeing to be on. So I really wanted to um, have you on to tell your story because there's not very many stories out there of people with sleep apnea who are in really great shape. So mm-hmm. like, and you're pretty much an athlete. So I think that this is a really important story to tell. Um, so start off by telling everybody where in the world you are. I'm, I'm in uh, Sydney, Australia at the moment. It's currently lunchtime. It's uh, 25 degrees and sunny, which is pretty typical weather it's here. It's summer, right? It's the middle of summer, yeah. Yeah, because my daughter Rosie was like, oh my word, like she's kind of obsessed with um, time zones because we always talk right. to my parents in Scotland, okay. like when it's lunchtime with us, it's dinner time with them. And so I was like, yeah. I'm about to talk to um, this guy who lives in Australia and it's going to be a different day. And she was just <laughs> like, what? <laughs> it's kind of a strange concept for a kid, I reckon. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Yeah. So, but so you started off, um, so you live in Australia now, but you started yes. in the UK. That's right, yeah. Okay, so um, take us back to yeah. the UK. And um, just generally yeah. when you started not feeling great or knew that there was um, something not right with your sleep. Yeah, so um, I grew up in Sussex um, on the south coast of England. Um, when I was 18, I moved up to London for university. And whilst I was there, the athletics for me became a lot more serious. Started training full time. Um, And the national coach for multi-events, which was the sport I chose, became uh, who we started training at my university, Brunel. So I pretty much started training full-time with him, all good whilst I was at uni. And then after I left uni a few years on, when I was about 25, I'd had a, I think I've had like a quite bad groin injury for like a year, so I hadn't trained very much. But then I was like, right, I want to get back into training seriously again. Yeah. And I joined a new coach who was on the other side of London. Uh, so it was like a one and a half hour commute every morning in my car to get to him. And then by this point, obviously I was 25, so I was working, trying to work full time as well as a personal trainer. And so I was really burning the candle at both ends kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, I even for, I think that that sounds like too much for anyone, even, do you know what yeah, I mean? I, mean I, think yeah, that I, was, I was hoping it would be manageable um and I think it would have been but um at some point sort of winter I guess it must have been 2011 I did start like just not being able to cope with um waking up early particularly was just so exhausting for me and then driving across the stress of being stuck in traffic when I get to training I'd be exhausted we'd train for three hours yeah and I'd get home midday and really all I want to do is nap but I had to go to work and earn some money. I, I, I just, and then I started drinking more and more like Red Bull and caffeinated drinks to mm-hmm. try and to try and maintain my energy levels. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was doing it to the point where like I was taking all this caffeine on board and it was doing absolutely nothing. It wasn't even 
giving me a pep. I was just, you know, falling asleep in training sessions. And would that make you feel worse afterwards? Like you would uh, have yes. all the caffeine well, was, and then afterwards. Yeah, yeah. and I remember worse. I was having like, I was I'd be eating a lot of sugary foods in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I was craving sort of junk basically because I was so tired. Yeah. And then I'd fall into these like two, three hour comas in the afternoon. And I'd wake up feeling absolutely horrendous, like yeah. like weird kind of like anxiousness and, mm-hmm. and low and like, yeah, it was it was awful. And um, so I had to quit training mm-hmm. altogether. I quit caffeine. So so um, when you said sorry to go back, but like yeah. just because I don't know anything about athletics really at all. Mm-hmm. Um you said multi-event. So so was it running or what was it that you were um, doing? So decathlon. Decathlon is two days, you do five events per day over two days. It's all track and field. So day one, you do 100 meters, long jump, shot put, high jump, 400 meters. Then on day two, you do sprint hurdles, uh, discus, pole vault, javelin, and the 1500 meters. I think like, probably the most famous American decathlete is Bruce Jenner. He won, oh, right on. Yeah. He won the 76 Olympics. That's, that's how he became famous before yeah. uh, all the other things happened okay um yeah so that that was my sport. thank you thank you for explaining because yeah. <laughs> yeah. otherwise i'm just like i don't know i think you like ran <laughs> not really yeah, sure. a lot of people mix it up with triathlon but it's, it's pretty so how did you so you said you basically had to just stop hmm. so was that really depressing if that was your um, main you know you hear about athletes having to stop competing and training and they fall into this depression but for me it was kind of nice just to be able to not have to do too much for a while. Right. I mean, have, a, have a genuine excuse to not go training because I was so tired. Yeah. And you know, I had work and other things that I could I could focus on. So I, I was kind of enjoying it, but mm. at the same time, I did have this kind of slight, very slight depressive feeling. Like I was tired mm. and I couldn't really get myself up for anything. And um, Except for that, grueling workouts and <laughs> for other people, being yeah. at the gym constantly. <laughs> yeah, um, but actually, that that summer I did develop anxiety, um, and that to the point where I was like struggling to sleep, mm-hmm. um, and I and, it, and then things really spiraled out of control. Um, so I was. So this is when you're in your mid twenties. This was 26. Yeah, okay. Which this was like probably the worst period of my life. Mm-hmm. So um, I started, and it was I, was I was tired, and when I'm tired, I know things stress me out a bit more than they mm-hmm. should. Definitely. And there's like a tipping point. If I'm too tired, I, I can develop this like anxiety, and then once I've got the anxiety, I can't sleep mm-hmm. very and well, and then I get more spike. tired. I get more anxious and I became so anxious. Mm. I, I had like a, what felt like a three month long panic attack. Mm. It was absolutely awful. And, and the more anxious I got, the less I could sleep and the less I could sleep, the more anxious I got. Yeah. And then it, it turned into this kind of bizarre depression where I was just completely exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking back on it, I guess if I had apnea and I was, you know, waking myself up several times a night anyway. Yeah. That would probably, it also plays well, in with itself. Definitely. And I also think that a, a lot of people, um, 
don't realize this whole cycle of sleep apnea where you um stop breathing and it's not just the fact that you stop breathing well in order to start again your body sends you lots of your brain sends lots of adrenaline and cortisol to make sure that it wakes you up you know so I used to wake up with like a pounding chest and just a feeling of impending doom like it's the best the best way that I can describe it and like that was long before I ever knew anything about you know that I had sleep apnea or anything but like it is this whole thing where I think with any mental health thing part of it's what what's physiologically happening in your body but then part of it is the story that you tell yourself about what that means yes. you know like yeah. so that was kind of most of my 20s as well just like yeah. trying and, to and, struggle um, with that yeah yeah and when um when I first came across your sleep apnea stories and, and your story I was in disbelief listening to it. I was like, oh my God, yes, yes. Yeah, I kept saying to same. myself, yes, this is my life being yeah. told back to me. And um, yeah, it's, I think, yeah, you, you probably wake up several times with this like parasympathetic stress response. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and like with me, I've been doing all that caffeine and trying to kickstart my adrenals mm-hmm. all day long. And then they're probably being whipped at night as well because of the apnea and I just went into this this situation where I think my body just was unable to even produce adrenaline and at that point the the only option your body has is like kind of depression right yeah just yeah just yeah gives up on you what point did you first go to the doctor about it and say like uh, I'm struggling yeah so um when I first had the fatigue kind of in the springtime with the hay fever I think I saw a doctor then. It's a long time ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's difficult to remember, I know. Yeah. Plus you're and, so um, tired that you're just like, yeah, people thing, ask me and I'm like, I don't know, I saw a bunch of doctors yeah, when I was 24 and I don't yeah, remember anything I about it. I, I definitely know that in the autumn time when the anxiety got horrendous, I, mm-hmm. I saw a doctor. I did mention that I thought I might have sleep apnea and she was like, oh yeah, maybe, you know, perhaps, but we'll do all these blood tests and they, you know, they check your thyroid, they, they do all the yeah. typical fatigue tests, iron test, um, just heaps of different bloods. And they- So you actually most, mentioned yeah. it by name and said, do you think it could be sleep apnea? I think from- Or a from sleep disorder. Recollection, yeah. I, I thought I was completely convinced that all this problem was, was, was originating from tiredness and sleep problems. Even though mm-hmm. I, in my head I was thinking I was sleeping well, but I was waking up so tired every morning. I knew that like mm-hmm. this, this, I just, I just felt it was related to tiredness. But they did all these blood tests, and um, all the tests came back, or most of them came back disappointingly low, but not not clinically low. Nothing that they they could right. intervene with. The thyroid mm-hmm. was fine, but it was like you know a bit disappointing for someone in their twenties. The iron was within a normal range, but not what you'd expect for, a, for an athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, testosterone was kind of low for a young guy, all these things, um, but nothing that... Nothing that was enough of a red flag for them yeah, to say it's yeah. this or it's that, yeah. Yeah, but since sort of reading about sleep deprivation, you know, it does lower your testosterone. Totally. It's quite well documented. And yeah. so everything can be brought back to the apnea in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Um, all I could really do was s- stop training, stop 
drinking caffeine, just look after yourself as best as possible. Right. And I was finding researching supplements that you can take, like, you know, sort of ginseng and sort of Chinese herbs that can mm -hmm. support your, your adrenal system and mm -hmm. sort of your stress responses. And um, it was just a slow journey back to normality for me. So were so you still able to work at that point or you just took a break from I was, everything? Yeah, I was able to, I was able to work, but, um, but I had the, oh, the worst anxiety mm, all the time terrible. and, and so tired. Yeah. Um, it, it was a nightmare of a life at, at, in that little period of time. Mm -hmm. And plus I think in winter in England, it's, it's, it's a miserable time anyway, uh, or it can be. Yeah. So, uh, long winter and I did eventually recover all, all the kind of um I guess mental symptoms slowly went away mm -hmm. with taking good care of myself to the point where I was like completely happy again I even started training again carefully mm -hmm. but um I could never get back into decathlon training better like the really intense like practicing for the 400 meters I would just be exhausted afterwards yeah and not in a way that like you can overcome it was yeah. like a, this is this is doing me damage and i'd start feeling anxious again mm. um so i had to just stick to the easier events like javelin um sprint hurdles the, the events that you know short bursts rather easier. than easier <laughs> yeah and the thing is i did really well i still got personal bests um that's amazing that spring but i just but i was never able to train the same way again and I always had to be so careful like to to not tie myself out and to make sure I had an almost ridiculous amount of sleep yeah um, and, and to this day it's always been like that you know like if I train too hard I start going downhill and I can and you know and and I know if I ignore it for long enough mm -hmm. the, this this anxiety will probably kick in at some point and that's mm -hmm. just a, a hellish sort of yeah. slippery pole to fall down in terms of actually being like diagnosed with apnea that that didn't happen until like, recently right yeah like nine years later oh my god um yeah so you were kind of like just in the years in between you were working as a personal trainer yep. and just were trying to manage your energy and not push it too far kind of thing and yeah. then take us to so what was happening when you finally went for a sleep study this year i've been especially tired mm -hmm. um i've been a little bit busier since covid training more people i think because mm -hmm. they're less keen to go to commercial gyms they want to do more one-on-one yeah. -on -one stuff so i've been waking up earlier uh more frequently and mm -hmm. i'm just horrible in the mornings yeah but like, you know Got a battle on. Um, <laughs> so I've been I've been a bit more tired than usual, but I went on this trip back in July with some friends, and um, this is where it kind of got interesting. Um, I was sharing a room with two bunk beds uh, with some friends, and after the first night of sleeping, a couple of the girls were like, um, they joked about, oh, you make the strangest noises like, in your sleep. Like you're making all these weird noises. Yeah. Like, like what the hell's going on? Like, like you know, they, they, they called them sex noises that I was making. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know, squeaking and stuff. I don't know. And snoring. And yeah. I thought they were just taking the mick. I, 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 but then the next night, they didn't want me to sleep in the room. Like, and I was like, you, you, I thought you're joking. They're like, no, you're making these weird, weird noises. Mm. And, um, and snoring. 
And I was like, oh, okay. And then um, I thought not a lot of it, but then about maybe a month later, we went on another trip and I shared a room with a mate of mine, Glenn. And he was like, mate, you're snoring so loudly. Like you've got to sleep on the couch in the lounge. I was like, are you kidding me? And he's like, no, I'm serious. And then I slept on the couch in the lounge of this Airbnb the second night. And they still complained that they could, they were hearing noises from the bedrooms. <laughs> oh, wow. And um, anyway, my, um, my housemate back home was like, oh, well, I've got this app on my phone where it records every time you snore, it will record the sound yeah. and you can play it back in the morning. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to download this and try and hear this for myself because I didn't really believe. Um, so this so is re- like an app which... Um it kind of uh will tell you like if you're at risk for sleep apnea because it listens to Mm. pauses and the noises that you're making kind of thing yeah and it only records when it can hear you making noises so you're very clever yeah it's clever um so i thought i'll give this a try This episode of Sleep Apnea Stories is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know a lot of people dealing with sleep apnea are also coping with some mental health issues. I have been struggling with anxiety and depression along with sleep apnea for years. Having a supportive and understanding therapist has helped me tremendously. If you're having a tough time right now, BetterHelp can assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counsellor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counsellors if needed. Visit BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P, dot com slash Emma. That's betterhelp.com slash Emma and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Right now, there's a special offer for Sleep Apnea Stories listeners and you can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Emma. In the morning, I'd open the app to look at it. And I was just like, there were over 90 recordings oh, gosh. from the night. I'd downloaded the free apps. You can only hear the first 10, but you could see that the others were there. You just couldn't open them. And I, so I started listening to these noises and it was just unbelievable. It sounded like, you know, a cat train or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like the snoring wasn't particularly loud, but it, it wasn't consistent. It would stop, then there'd be choking, then it would start again. It, it just, it was just a pantomime of different noises going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that combined with the fact that I was so damn tired in the mornings, I thought, yeah. right, I'm going to the doctor. And There's something time, not right about that. Yeah. yeah. And I had met, like I said, I've mentioned apnea at least twice to doctors in the past and they fobbed me off and they said, you know, this is when I was, I was seeing them probably for anxiety at the time. Yeah. And I was saying, look, it's, it's tiredness causing this, but they were like a bit dismissive of that. 
But this mm. time I was like, no, I've got this so, recording. So do gonna... you think, did anyone actually say, oh my God, you can't have that. You're not like an old overweight man. Did they say Pretty like, much, you're, yeah. so, you're in too, too great shape? Because I think that's yeah, a huge pre- problem. For pretty people. much. Um, so I saw a GP, I saw this GP like 10 years ago and she was like, maybe you've got it, but let's look at these other avenues and kind of dismissed it. Yeah. Years later in Australia, I saw a doctor and said the same thing. And he literally just said, no, you won't have that. And, you know, you're way too young and fit to, to, yeah. to have that. Um, I mean, that was honestly like the same. I mean, I know I don't like that bit now, but like back in the day, like I saw doctors multiple times and I would go and I think that maybe they would just focus on the anxiety because that was the biggest yeah. thing that I was saying, you know, was like really yeah. um, impacting my life so much. But I would yeah. always say I'm exhausted. Like I yeah. sleep for 10 hours and I still feel tired. And they yeah. said the same thing. They were just like, yeah, I, doubt, I mean, I kind of I don't think I knew the word sleep apnea, but I said, like, yeah. is there any way it could be like a sleep disorder thing? Yeah. And they were like, they mainly affect like you know older people who are overweight yeah and yeah. and so it's so frustrating you know yeah but I, I think I think they've got it wrong and like if you have sleep apnea for long enough you're almost guaranteed to become fat if it's undiagnosed because yeah. you know you're you, eating you're, sugar to just like yeah make it you're, just, you're just gonna end up with metabolic syndrome because yeah. you're so exhausted you yes. can't you don't, you don't want to train and be active because you're yeah. tired you're gonna eat crap so you know people that have sleep apnea probably become fat, but it doesn't mean that you have to be fat before you can be diagnosed. Right. I think they've got to like, it's a chicken in the egg kind of thing. Yeah, I agree um, Yeah, so I, I went armed with this sleep app recording, went to the GP and I said to him, look, I, I want to do like a sleep study. I've heard about these sleep studies because I think I've got apnea and I explained the situation. And I also said to him, look, I've got huge tonsils and I've, I've, all, I've been, always been aware that I've got these big tonsils and I, I, they annoy me and I find them kind of cumbersome. And he looked in my throat and he goes, yeah, they're, they're pretty big. And um, he thinks for a second and he goes, I tell you what, I'm not going to send you for a sleep study. I'm going to send you to an ENT and let him decide the best course of action. He listened to um, that recording and didn't send you for a sleep study. Oh, he, no, he, he agreed that I could well have apnea. Right. He, wanted, he just wanted you um, to go to the ENT first. He wanted to see the specialist first. Okay. And I think in hindsight, that probably was the right decision because mm-hmm. um, that, that probably was the right order to do things. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, so I saw the ENT, really lovely guy. Um, and this is all in Sydney. Because this is just in Sydney, yeah. 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 So the, um, I saw the ENT. Um, he shoved a camera up my nose. Um, and had a look down the throat, pulled it all out, and he said, um, yeah, you've got enlarged uh, tonsils. He called them like grade three. Yes. Is it grade one to four in tonsil sizes? So four is practically touching, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's like big problems. Three is pretty big, but, you know. Um, and he also said that I had a severely deviated septum. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, really? And he goes, yeah, you would have broken your nose quite badly as a kid. And I said, oh, I don't think so. Like, I don't recall that. Right. And he just looked at me and goes, well, no, you definitely did break your nose as a kid. You're probably too young to remember it, but it would have happened. And he, like, made me uh, press one nostril and breathe in and press the other. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, crikey, um, you're right. Like, I can't breathe properly through one nostril. And I right. never really realized. 
Um, so then he sent me for the sleep study after okay, that. Good. And he said to me, look, my expectation is that you're going to have apnea probably to some degree. And if that comes back positive, we'll book you in to have your tonsils taken out because I'm 90% sure that but will sort of problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he said the nose was a, a minor issue in comparison to the, to to the, the tonsils. tonsils. Yeah. yeah. So I went to do the sleep study. Um, it was a take-home kit, but all mm -hmm. the wires got attached to your face. I think you saw the picture on my Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Um, had like the worst night's sleep ever with all those wires attached to me. I know. That's um, the whole ridiculous thing about <laughs> it. It's like... Yeah. They attach all the wires and then they go, now go to sleep. How, yeah, They're how are you supposed to sleep like, with all that stuff on you? Like, crazy. Every time I fell asleep, I just had dreams about the wires falling off. But anyway, I did the study, handed it back, got the results. And um, yeah, I had moderate um, sleep apnea. So um, he said 21 disturbances per hour. Yep. But what he was more concerned with was the, the oxygen saturation went into the 70s oh gosh uh, yeah which he said was quite severe yeah that is um yeah so he recommended me to go see the uh ent again but in the meantime take a cpap and try okay, it out. good yeah yeah i did that um the ent booked me well he recommended the surgery but didn't force me into it he said look mm -hmm. Well, over. It's, it's, it's fairly big surgery having your tonsils taken out as an adult. Yeah, I uh, did it when I was nineteen. Really? And... How was it? Okay, so because you haven't had it done yet, right? Mm. No, I'm on a waiting list, so it'll be about oh, nine months before gosh. I get it done. Okay, let's be really yeah. tactful. So, <laughs> um, here's what happened with mine. So I basically w went to. I always had giant tonsils, but they just yeah. kind of were like. It never really became an issue. I think there's something in the UK where they want you to have tonsillitis for, or I think Americans say strep throat more than tonsillitis, but they yeah. want you to have tonsillitis like four times a year before they take out your tonsils. And mm -hmm. um, so I was always having like three bouts of tonsillitis and massive tonsils, but they were like, that's okay you know and didn't want to do it so then I went to university lots of kissing people with random <laughs> bacteria and I basically had tonsillitis for the best part of the whole of my first year at university oh and to the point where when they put me on I was on antibiotics like the whole time and I went and they were like, yeah, we definitely have to take them out. And they gave me really strong antibiotics in the hopes that my tonsils would kind of go down a little bit before the surgery. And they just kind of stayed like massive. And so my tonsils were so big that when I woke up from the surgery, there were like 10 medical students in the room. <laughs> and then the guy had my tonsils in a jar and was like, I've been doing this work for 40 years and I've never seen tonsils this size That's so awesome. I think I mean I guess and I was a bit like and I was just coming around from anesthetic going can I see my mom like, <laughs> like what's going on it's not fun but I was really really glad I did it is what yeah. I would say yeah and it made a difference it, it did make a big difference I think and um, the problem was for me, like everything's so easy in hindsight, right? So 
now I realize I was like a chronic mouth breather from when I was little just from having these huge tonsils that I couldn't really like you know it just kind of messed up my whole my adenoids as well like there was just no room yeah. and I've got a deviated septum so right. I never really I just would breathe through my mouth and then when I had my tonsils out I really wish in hindsight somebody had said now teach yourself to breathe through your nose again <laughs> do you know what I mean because none of that happened so I already was a mouth breather so I just carried on being a mouth breather but having said that there was just more room so I was really yeah. glad that I I did it you know um, yeah. so I think it's going to be a good thing for you but I in really the meantime tell me about how you've been getting on with CPAP um so I was really hoping the first night I have the CPAP I was going to wake up in the morning and you know be like these stories I hear where colors are brighter and, mm -hmm. and you feel like you did when you were 15 and I woke up feeling fairly much the same yeah. as um as I had done um and I think maybe it helps 10 to 15 percent but not hugely to yeah. be honest yes yeah, so in that in that sense it is a little bit disappointing yeah um so but you're it sounded as though you did well with your actual setup like your mask yeah, and all that yeah, um, okay so I, I sort of discovered from the CPAP that I am a nose breather which is which was made me happy because I wasn't entirely sure because I, I do wake up with sore throats a lot mm -hmm. uh, so I wondered whether I do mouth breathe a little bit but I think yeah I'm a nose breather um so I use like I just use the nasal pillow now the smallest mm -hmm. one yeah it's the one that feels least intrusive yeah yeah quite often it, it becomes a little bit dislodged mm -hmm. so I'll I keep having these dreams where like there's a hurricane outside and I'll wake up and there's just air blowing in my face from the CPAP yeah <laughs> um so I think that's part of the reason why I'm not feeling the full benefit it's because mm -hmm. maybe it comes apart, away from my nose a little bit sometimes or I, I sometimes I wake up in the morning and I've, I've ripped the mask off and it's on the floor but I've got no recollection of taking it off totally so I think, so that I think used to happen to me all the time yeah I, I guess over time especially I guess, yeah I guess over time you do slowly get used to it and mm -hmm. I think I have gotten I am getting more used to it certainly like um I fall asleep very quickly when I have it on now which I wasn't mm -hmm. doing before that's so I think good. and I so slowly I think it is working for me and making a small difference mm -hmm. but, but not really the the level of difference not not the really magic good. bullet that you were hoping yeah that it it's not be. so I've really got my yeah. my hopes pinned on the tonsil See, surgery yeah I don't I don't really think so so sometimes when I'm talking to people I'll, I'll hear it because I think for some people it is like that where they they have it the first night and they're like oh my god I got all this oxygen and now I feel so much better and yeah. and and that's not really what happened with me either like um, but I definitely think compared to how I used to feel it's a different level like even the days that I'm tired it's not the same as I, as before the CPAP I used to be like you know would just practically fall asleep at the wheel and a desk or you know what I mean so yeah, it's yeah. not quite uh, that bad yeah. but I understand that yeah I think I agree actually like the the tiredness that I do feel now isn't quite as extreme as it was mm -hmm. maybe a couple of months ago like say with training I can actually 
push through and train and feel good afterwards mm -hmm. rather than just having this heavy just complete inability to train because i'm so tired yeah so so that's one thing that i think so interesting about you craig like i mean i think i rely on sleep apnea as a big excuse not to do mm -hmm. more exercise right like i i walk like i walk every day and i do kind of the bare minimum but like, where do you get, like, do you just have motivation naturally or you just know that you'll feel better afterwards? Um, or you just always done I, it and you just love it. I've always done it. I, I was a gymnast as a kid um, and, and training is just, just um, innate in me, okay. I guess. Like it, it feels right. It feels good. My body wants to train. Um, I like, obviously, when I was competing more seriously, the focus would always be like, I, I want to jump this far, run this fast, jump this high, beat mm -hmm. this person, win this medal. And that was all the motivation I needed to get out of bed and train. Okay. Now it's more, I just, I enjoy the feeling of being strong is, is, is a really nice feeling. And the feeling of being able to do things that other people can't do is like, a, it's a really nice feeling. So just yeah, just just feels good to, to train okay. and strong. And maybe I should get into yeah. it. You definitely should, yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> definitely, definitely should. Like you know, and and I've had probably hundreds of clients uh in my career as a trainer, and I can't think of one that regretted starting training. Right. And I don't think anyone in the history of time has ever regretted being stronger. How did you end up in Australia? Just because I'm nosy, mainly. Oh, uh, so you, you lived in Australia, didn't you? Did you say? So I did, um, I traveled for a year after, I did a gap year before and after university. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was in Southeast Asia for, for a few months and then um, Sydney for six months. And then I did a little bit. I, I went to Melbourne and Tasmania and New Zealand and then I went home. So I was in. Um, so we lived in Randwick right near the spot. Mm. Oh, yeah, nice. So yeah, where really exactly nice. are you? I'm in Bronte. So okay. in, in between Coogee and Bondi. Yeah. Um, by, the, by the ocean. I can just about see some ocean from my bedroom Beautiful. window. That's um, nice. Yeah, so um, I was going out with this French girl that I met at work. Uh, this was like not long after this whole fatigue thing when I was 25. Mm -hmm. um, and she had this plan to go to Australia before we'd even met. And then um, six months into our, our relationship, she went ahead and stuck to her plan and went to Australia. And I was like, yeah, good on you. Um, <laughs> and then she was pestering me to like, come, come to Australia, come, come check this place out. And I was like, oh, I don't, don't really fancy it. It's just like a, I, I felt like Australia was just a, a place with a bunch of flip-flop wearing alcoholics. And I, it didn't really take my fancy at all. Um, but I, I was like, fine, I'll, I'll, I will go. I really started to like um, Sydney. And long story short, I didn't go home for five years. Got I, it. I just, I just stayed. Yeah. Stayed. Yeah, I just stayed. Yeah, Sydney's, I, I, Sydney's such a great place. And thanks so much for joining me, Craig. Pleasure. Yeah, thank you. This episode of Sleep Apnea Stories is sponsored by Myotape.
If you've listened to the podcast, you've heard me talk about my journey switching from mouth breathing to nose breathing. Once I learned the benefits of nasal breathing versus mouth breathing, I tried all sorts of mouth taping methods to keep my mouth closed at night when I was asleep. I didn't like any of them and found they would either fall off or get uncomfortable during the night. That is until I find myotape. Myotape is specifically designed to bring the lips together with a light elastic tension to help maintain lip closure and ensure nasal breathing. Myotape is made from cotton and hypoallergenic glue, especially made for the skin. I have found it comfortable to use myotape at night with my CPAP. If you're interested to switch from mouth breathing to nose breathing, I highly recommend trying myotape to ease the transition. Visit oxygenadvantage.com slash Emma to order your myotape now. That's oxygenadvantage.com slash Emma. Thanks so much for listening. I love hearing from you. If you'd like to be featured in an upcoming episode, please email me at sleepapneastories at gmail.com. That's also the place to get in touch if you just want to say hi or ask a question. Alternatively, you can always reach me on Instagram. My handle there is at sleepapneastories. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. This really helps a wider audience to find the episodes and I really appreciate it.